from the White Letter Production Studios in Los Angeles, California. I'm Ellie Unger-Sargon, and this is The Cut Podcast. started thank you so much for coming out this is the first screening of the great cut tour of 2011 so thanks for being here really appreciate you guys coming out. Um, I want to really thank Danielle Gladding for the yeoman's work that she did on getting the word out for tonight's screening it really is it needs to be mentioned I know it was hard and really appreciate all the effort you put in. Thank you very much. i also like to thank the, uh, the whole network for putting this together. Um, it's a really, I was, we were just talking before uh, about what an interesting experiment it is organizing something on this scale through social media. So I think it's going to be a very successful experiment and I look forward to, uh, to engaging in it. Um, so thank you so much for coming out. Um, What we're going to do is I'm going to show my film Cut, which is my first feature-length documentary from uh, 2007. Um, We'll have a QA and a session afterwards, and then after the Q&A session, I will show you a trailer for the film that I've been working on, The People of Our Land. Um, And uh, after that, um, we will uh, be signing and selling DVDs at a special rate, a cut tour rate is going to be uh, $20 for a single DVD, and if you buy more than one DVD, it's $15 per unit. Um, so without further ado... And there's a fabulous table in the back of really important stuff. There is. Danielle put together a really uh, lovely uh, resource table at the back full of all sorts of things that you can uh, pick up and take a look at. So thank you so much, uh, and why don't we get into the film, and then uh, we'll take it from there. Thanks for coming. Yeah, please, Megan. Um, and activists talked about their steps from circumcision, the things that led to their awakening or um, their realization that it was wrong. Can you tell a little bit about like, your steps from circumcision or how, how did it kind of start? Yeah. Sure. Um, I think the first time I thought about it critically was when I was 15 years old. Uh, I was living in Israel at the time. And um, my first cousin was having a bris. And I was given the honor of being a sandik. Sandik is the person who holds the baby. Um, it's not something I'd ever done before. And I had never been that close to an actual circumcision, actual brit milah. I've been to a lot of brises, of course. But what it's interesting what happens is there's like a sort of human ring that forms around the proceedings. And it's very always very hard. People are always looking. And I just never was that close before. Um, so in this instance, it was a sort of family affair, very small, and I was the person holding the baby. And, you know, the blessings were made, uh, the cut was made, and the rabbi uh, who was doing it um, bent down, put his mouth on the baby's penis, and did mitzitzah pet, which is uh, a ritual that some Orthodox Jews still practice, where you have direct uh, oral to genital suction going on after the, the cut is made. I'd never seen that before. I wasn't even aware that it was a practice. And uh, the Mohel 
came back up and he had um, blood on his beard. Um, and it was that moment that I just I was sort of, what is going on here? And I said to my, my father, um, you know, you saw in the film just now, I said, like, what is this? What's going on? And he said, you know, they did that to you, boy chick. And I just, I was like, just totally blown away. So I think that's probably the first time I thought about it critically. Then, of course, I went to medical school, um, and so it came up there in the context of, I was sort of learning the, the tools of statistical analysis, medical statistics, and sort of basic medical sciences, and so I started looking into a little, a little bit of the health benefits um, in that context, and then when I left medicine and went into film, I thought it would be a really great subject for a film. So that sort of, that was my turn. Yes, please. What's your father's stance now? Uh, I mean, in the film he says that he's giving basically the blessing for you to choose your own path, but with a heavy heart. How does he feel now? So my father's position is very interesting. I, I don't think, I mean, I think the film affected him. Um, and he's seen it and he's participated in discussions about it since it came out in 2007. And he's very supportive, um, you know, even when I'm getting nasty emails. Um, but I don't know that he, his position has fundamentally changed insofar as I don't think he's opposed to this Jewish practice. But he completely understands where I'm coming from. And he's been forced now to look at this from the baby's perspective in a way that he'd never had to before. Um, and I, you know, we have an ongoing discussion about it. And uh, so I think it's definitely, and he moved, you can see even in the film, over the course of the film. The, you know, it took me 18 months to make it. And, you know, from the first conversation that we had to the last conversation we had, there's like a, there's a chasm. You can see the, that he's made a big leap. So yeah, that's really yeah. Um, Would he still be happy if you, let's say, choose to circumcise your son in the future? Or what, what's his heart feeling about it? I, we haven't had detailed conversations about that yet. Um, <laughs> despite what I thought in 2007, it's actually um, not on the horizon yet for me to have children, although I hope you know, in a not too distant future. Um, but, um, but I mean, I think he totally understands that it's not something I would do, uh, and he respects my position on this subject. Would you bless the baby? I, I'd like to believe that he would, yeah. Please. No, I have two questions. One, to continue with Danielle's question. Like, what kind of, like, when you continue from the point, from the last time we met in Kiwi, when we watched what kind of response have you received from viewers, and how many actually Jewish people were able to change their position after viewing the movie? And uh, this is one question. Or who have thanked you, or who have appreciated you, what you've done, and they have been able to maintain their Jewish identity and follow the other... Uh, the other one? Yes. The, 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 the,
and in a way, you were the one who brought the change, and they acknowledged that. Right. So a lot's happened since Kiel, um, which was in 2008. Um, it's really nice to see you guys after so long, by the way. Um, I think there's been a sort of cultural shift. Um, when we first uh, screened the film in 2007, we had our first public screenings, um, it was like pulling teeth to get film festivals to even just consider the film. Um, and we had very, it was very, very difficult to get it out there. Um, we have since been approached by a number of film festivals who are coming to us asking to show the film. So that's one indication that I have that there's been a cultural shift. Uh, another really important indication, and this is partly due to um, the rise of social networking, I get um, Facebook messages, emails, um, on a rather regular basis from Jewish families who are either in crisis or have seen the film and have decided as a result of seeing the film not to go ahead with circumcising their boys. Um, and that's been happening with, a, with an increasing amount of frequency between when the film came out and now. Um, and of course, you know, it's, um, the recent push on uh, getting circumcision on the ballot in San Francisco, though it was, you know, quite dramatically trounced, this effort, um, and most recently, and very recently, actually, there was a, what's that douchebag's name? Mike Gatto? Uh -huh. Gatto introduced uh, this Bill 768, which sort of says that it's illegal now to put circumcision on the ballots in different districts in California. Okay, fine. But that, that aside, all that aside, when this came into the, the, spot, the media spotlight, uh, in the, the late spring and early summer this year, um, I found a willingness of people to engage that I haven't seen in, in the past. And I, 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 so all of these are indications that there, ha that there is a cultural shift happening. Um, and I'm very excited that we were able to pull this tour together because I think that's a part of it. That's, you know, that I don't think this tour would have been possible I actually, I know this tour was not possible in 2007 and 2008. And I, so again, I, I, I see a lot of uh, hope and a lot of um, reason to hope and, and to feel like, reasons for optimism, let's put it that way. My second question is, like, I was concerned about two email monoliths uh, last time, three, four years ago, three years ago. I'm still very concerned. I noticed for men it was more easy to admit that this is a painful, unnecessary thing, but if this is what has to be done, you're not really pretending like this is something good. Like very honest, very straightforward, very direct, but I'm going to do it approach. While female were more in the moral rationalizing if this is beneficial, poor the one of the myelettes when she said, I'm ready to change my opinion 100% if this comes. To, if my opinion seems to be wrong and challenged heavily, have you had a chance to talk to those to those women? Where are they now, and what is their relationship to you? So it's very interesting. Um, Phyllis Marks, I've had very minimal contact with since the film came out, um, but 
you know, we had a few emails back and forth, and she said she'd be interested in having another conversation with me. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to make that happen. The other woman you're referring to is not actually a Mohelet. She's the head. She was the head of the Reformed Brit Milah program, Rabbi Donnie Aaron. And I had a, I was in a very interesting situation where I was working with her husband, and through that work relationship, I actually was able to have some one-on-one -on -one conversations with her. We went out to lunch, and we talked about it. And um, at first, she seemed very. Uh, I, th I think she was unhappy with, with my film and the way she was portrayed in the film, and that concerned me deeply, of course, because I try very, very hard in all my work to be fair to my subjects. Um, so I cleared that up at first. I was like, look, I don't want you to feel like I was taking any cheap shots. That clearly was not my intention. She said, no, I don't feel like you were making cheap, taking cheap shots, but I do feel that, you know, you had me saying... You know, that I changed my opinion and then you present the data and you didn't give me a chance to respond. You didn't present the data to me and, and all this. So I explained to her, we eventually got to this very interesting place where I said, I want you to consider the following. Everything you said about health benefits could be true. And everything that I say about the harm could also be true at the same time. Can you think about that? And she said to me, she's very honest, she said, I had never, I had never considered that before. And so I thought that was a really, I mean, you know, it's a little disturbing that someone at that sort of a high level in charge of program uh, for circumcision had never contemplated that possibility. But, you know, I, th I thought we made progress and we had a very respectful sort of a discussion about it. Um, on the issue of gender, um, I tried in my film very hard to sort of show that it's really not... Um, it's really not about gender. It's, I think it's deeper. Um, I think it's, it's a cultural practice that's just part of the fabric of our culture in a way that sort of is almost, you know, pre-gender or, or under-gender or something like that. That's why we've got a Mohelet in here. We have women. Um, there are women who are very prominent in the intactivist movement. There are women who are very prominent in circumcision proponents. I think it's it's not really um, determined so much by gender. What I will say is, it is a feminist issue. And I wish feminists would take it more seriously because it's about gender equality. Um, now, this particular issue happens to break the other way than it usually does, but that doesn't mean it's not a feminist concern or that feminists shouldn't be concerned with it. I think they should be very concerned with circumcision. And I hope in the future that they realize how important that is. Uh, have you explored how um, circumcising a boy can affect emotionally and psychologically thereafter? That's a really good question, and it's something that I steer clear. I steer clear. I steered clear from in the film, and in my talking about circumcision, I don't bring it up a lot. And the reason that I don't is because I find it really, really um, difficult to talk about that. Um, why do I say that? I, I think there's definitely, an there, it's very important to talk about the psychological consequences. I just think that it, the data is much less certain than on the things that I usually talk about. And when I'm talking to other people who may not share my point of view, I try to stay on as firm ground as I possibly can scientifically so that, um, you know, 
we can really communicate effectively about it. I do think that there are psychological Attention, effects. The technology learning center and internet stations are now closed, so the library will be closing in 15 minutes. If you need a library card or have materials you wish to check out, please come to the circulation desk at this time. All transactions must be completed by 9 o'clock. The copy and print center will close at 8.55. Thank you. Thanks. Um, so just uh, in short, I think there are some very important psychological consequences. Um, I think that starts to get into some of the territory that I did get into in the film with the um, sexual pleasure effects. Again, definitely important to talk about, very difficult to nail down objectively and scientifically. So what kind of data is there about sexual Because okay. I've heard all kinds. So, and, and this, again, we're getting, we're stepping outside of my comfort zone, outside of the solid scientific evidence, but you heard two testimonies in my film about men who had experienced both states. Um, the Meisner's corpuscle, the nerve endings in the ridge band, that is established scientific fact. It's been uh, reconfirmed a number of times since the original Colton-Taylor study. So the existence of that neural structure is not a question anymore. The, the only question that some people raise still is, do, uh, what is the, the relationship between that neural structure and sexual pleasure? And that's a very difficult thing to nail down scientifically because science is not good at talking about that sort of thing. And sexual pleasure is a very complex subject. Um, I like to tell people that um, if someone breaks my nose and I lose my sense of smell, I may not be able to quantify the precise contribution or the precise loss to my ability to enjoy food from that damage, but that doesn't mean that the damage hasn't occurred or that the alteration hasn't occurred. Um, but again, very difficult to nail these things down empirically, scientifically, and our tools both philosophically and empirically are, are not up to the task of talking with any degree of precision. Having said that, I think it's really important to talk to people who have experienced both states, and as you saw in my film, many of them feel that there is a detriment to, to the practice. Um, yes, I think we can take two more questions, and then I want to show my, my trailer. Yeah, please. You're, I was just going to ask you if you have had a chance yet to really read closely Ron Goldman's book. But it's a very difficult book to read because it's, he adapted his PhD dissertation into a, a, a sort of a handbook for those who wanted to look into the psychological effects of circumcision. What is the name? Uh, Ronald Goldman. He's right up there under oh, Ron and Alice. Goldman. It's on the back no, table, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's. it's, it's I, I, I have started it several times. I've skipped around in it. And I, I was hoping somebody would say, yes, I've read it. Here's what you finally get from it. When, and I don't know if this works, but I want to throw it out. What we, a lot of us that have, have been discussing this in a psychological effects, and we get people that say, well, there are anecdotal examples that counter anything you say. And what you finally come down to is that you have to use this thing that's in sociology or psychology or something. Circumcision is neither necessary nor sufficient to cause certain things to happen, but it can be a contributing factor. And life is tough on kids. 
and, and I think in many ways tough room boys. I and I don't I don't take anything away from the trials that girls have to go through too, but um, if if you don't want to stack the deck against them in any way. You don't want to do anything that doesn't have to be done that might might tilt something going wrong in the in the mind. I agree, and I'd like to add a, a thought to that um, on this on this train of thought, which is that um, even if I can, and again, I, I'm coming back to this. Even if I can't, and you know, we're friends here. You can, you can take this from me. Even if I can't be precise, even if I can't say with an empirical certainty what exactly the effects are, you have to imagine that something this traumatic, this early on, has profound effect. And I think that some of them will probably become apparent as our uh, techniques for examining psychology and our understanding of the human mind evolve, and we get better at talking about that. But the fact that I can't say precisely what it is doesn't mean that there isn't harm. And it stands to reason that there's quite a bit of harm. We have some indications. We have, you know, the interruption of uh, breastfeeding cycles. We have um, the, and this is now accepted even among proponents of circumcision, that if you perform circumcision without anesthetic, um, you see that there's an increased pain response at the first um, uh, uh, inoculations. Um, so we do have some very sort of uh, you know preliminary ideas about how this is impacting it. Our model of the brain is very simplistic. Our model of the mind and the psyche is very simplistic at this point in time, and we just don't know the extent of it. I think we need to wrap it up here. Yeah, can just say one more thing. One more, yeah. It is so interesting where you so gently and so uh, avoidingly want to protect the status quo, the physical body, the child was born with, yet the other side uses all the anecdotal evidence and sells it as science. This is so interesting what your gentleness, your softness, and your avoidance in a way to label this as science, where you are protecting status quo, the child was born with this body part, yet the other side somehow manages to sell as a science, as a solid science inside. New England Journal of Medicine is publishing this data with no ethical concerns and sells this as science, where they have the anecdote, you are talking science. Thank you very much. you take one more? Are, you had a question? I oh, I, I, just, I don't see. want you to get lost in the shuffle, so uh, one last thing, if we can just... Uh, thank, uh, I want to see uh, the Jewish hierarchy deal with Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. You yeah, haven't brought that up. That's the same covenant. 15 does not include uh, surgery, and 17 does. It's the same story, it's the same characters, it's the covenant. And it's two different stories, and how they decide one over the other uh, is a mystery to me, and I would like to see you present that to uh, Oh, I think your pop is great. He's a great guy. He's, he's got troubles. <laughs> he's got to deal with his kids. But uh, he's a great guy. Uh, but uh, check into 15, Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. 17 is what she quoted up there when she was doing the circumcision. But 15 is, is the same story, only without surgery. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that brings up the whole issue of biblical criticism. And according to biblical criticism, which is a sort of widely accepted academic discipline now, um, 
the one text is, the text without circumcision is actually earlier, the text with circumcision is later. Of course, for religious Jews, this brings up a whole other issue, which is uh, the divine authorship of the text, or whether it was written by men, and that brings up a whole larger issue that unfortunately we don't have time to, to get into today. But thank you for the comment. All right, so I think we're going think to... Just like a couple of housekeeping notes. Yeah. Um, the program had been listed as free with suggested donations, so if anybody would like to make a suggested donation, it benefits the organizers and the whole network and the film and kind of a, an array of things, so um, that's out there. And then uh, the DVD signing, if anybody wants to buy a DVD, Ellie will sign it while he's here in person. I don't know how you want to work this out, because we have about six minutes left. Well, and let's, you let's show, show the, the trailer. Let's show the trailer. You want to give people a chance to, you know, have a signed copy or whatever. Let them kick us out. That's our show. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email them to us at cutdocumentary at gmail.com. And if you like what you've heard today, please support us by buying our film at www.cutthefilm.com. 